0: Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of the Stay Outstanding Podcast. I'm so pleased to be able to introduce my guest to you today, Tony Brooks, the leadership psychologist. Welcome, Tony. Great to be with you, Gavin. Uh, Tony, we had a discovery call a while back, and we were talking about some really interesting topics, how you sort of got into leadership psychology coaching, mentorship, and um, what you're really talking about at the moment regarding the survival thinking that can hijack us all. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I've worked as a the leadership coach, leadership psychologist for 15 years, and um, I think I will send you to you on the discovery call, Gavin, that in my view, the quality of a leader's thinking is paramount. Um, because that will dictate how they see the world and the actions and results that they get. And I think these can kind of the greatest strategy, but they can be hijacked by their thinking. And over the last couple of years in particular, um, I've, I've been looking more and more into the era of how our survival instinct can play out probably way more than we we believe so and, and more than we're conscious of. And that can impact in, I took about five ways. First of all, you've got the belief that you've got imposter syndrome, and which can definitely trip leaders up when they step into a more senior position or the head of a company and they've never had any leadership development and start to doubt themselves. You've then got the challenges of defensive mindset, where people aren't great uh, if or leaders aren't great if there's a mistake made uh, or if they get negative feedback uh, and all those kind of things that can put them into a defensive place. You've got the challenges of ego. Uh, which can be damaging for the lead themselves, but certainly damaging for the people around them Uh, and and ego and that need to protect self psychologically uh, can cause all sorts of problems. Really, as you go along, you've then got negative self-talk, which we're all we're all thinking internally all the time. Thousands of thoughts all the time. Often they aren't productive. Uh, thoughts or conversations they can be doubtful negative so you've got that hindering you and then the fifth area that can impact leaders and organizations is tribal behavior which can manifest in a number of ways it could be it could be us and them mentality the belief that the managers and the workers are um, you know there's a disconnect there or you can get blame culture within different parts of an organization or you can get breakaway tribes in organizations where people who potentially quite toxic can start to influence other people as well. So that that's five overarching areas where I think survival instinct can play out and be damaging for both leaders and uh, companies, organizations as well.
0: So interesting to me, this survival uh, thinking because I don't think from a survival position, um, you know, we talked about watching or reading the news, and I pretty much ninety eight percent sustain from reading or watching the news. Um, I won't lie; I love football, so I do go onto the papers and look at the football headlines. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really watch about everything else that's going on in the world. Which, at least from a mainstream media point of view, is a very, for me, it's very healthy. Like, if you really want to know what's going on in ukraine don't read mainstream media go and find out real information um i think you know it's not as simple as the as the headlines of these uh of these newspapers say sometimes they're bad they're good let's send missiles they're killing everybody let's save the world i wish it was that simple
1: (laughs) yeah well i think we've got to realize that um You know, I spoke about it before. I think newspapers are there to sell and they know that fear sells as well. Uh, And they all also know that they have great power to influence people's opinions. And that can be politically within uh, the UK or uh, on the world stage as well. So I I haven't picked up or bought a newspaper in a long, long time. And as you say, um, it's difficult even to be selective about where you can get more objective uh, views of what's going on in the world and uh, I think often there's a slump to the news but but yeah it's great it's good to have an appreciation of what's going on in the world I definitely don't think the newspapers are a way to do that
0: um if you had somebody let's say that was going to leave school and go into the higher education system what what would be your one sort of you know here's a nugget of wisdom for you
1: well, if it was in a practical sense, I, I guess if I'm allowed to.
0: <laughs> all right, I'm um, allowed to.
1: Yeah, I think in a practical sense, I think it would be open your eyes to all the possibilities in front of you and don't be uncomfortable making some mistakes and failing. That that would definitely be one part of it for me. I think um, certainly like I'm, I'm in my late 50s now. Uh, when I was at school, That The the thought of having my own business or anything like that would have been uh, just not even on the agenda for me. And I think the other thing I would say to them is um, get a better grip and understand the way that you think and your ability to have greater control over that. I think that's been the greatest life lesson for me, as I was mentioning to you before on the discovery call, Gavin, that ability as a human being to raise your level of consciousness above your thinking and be able to make, A, to be able to disconnect from your thinking and be able to make better choices with your thinking. Those two things, I think.
0: So it's a really interesting point. Um, You know, some of my friends that perhaps don't totally understand everything that I do or what I talk about, I kind of break it down into the most simplest form for them. And I'm like, Just ask yourself in everything you do, are you consciously choosing to do that or are you subconsciously reacting? Yeah. And the moment you discover the difference between the two, there's going to be a whole new world that opens up for you because the majority of people out there believe, believe that they're consciously choosing, but they're not. They're simply reacting.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And often you've got to think about it as well, uh, that if you're having thoughts or behaving in ways that make you unhappy, then why would you choose to do that? If, you know, why on earth would you choose to think something that makes you unhappy or or to do something that makes you unhappy? Therefore, as you say, there isn't there isn't a clear choice going on there. You're either making poor choices or, as you said, you're reacting. Uh, in an unconscious way to what's going on without bringing conscious thought and conscious choice to it. I think it's a good point, Gavin.
0: So it was really interesting back in uh, the beginning of this year, I did a 28 day juice detox chat. And um, I always used to say that there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the people that eat when they're ill and the people that don't eat when they're ill, which is kind of true. But I didn't expect it to kind of flow into the detox, because what happened was, was I began to realize that actually, I was quite an emotional person, you know, from being this person that I thought, you know, had their guard up and was never having feelings, to being absolutely broken down and realizing that I've got emotions all over the place. And so what it taught me in a very, very short time, because it was a 28 day challenge was that I could either let my thoughts control me or I could control my thoughts. So I often use the uh, example of a ship without a captain. Where does the ship end up? Does it end up at the destination in port or does it end up anywhere else, shipwrecked or worse, you know? And it's the same to not only our emotions, but our thoughts, you know, our thoughts do derive our emotions. So if you're in control of those, then you're going to be able to uh, direct yourself down the path of success a lot better. And when I talk about success in this context, it's in personal and business.
1: Yeah. And I think we were, we were speaking before as, as well about people's view on success And I think people can get too wrapped up in their achievements in their career or their business at the expense of what I would call, in a way, real, like you talked about, personal success or happiness or fulfillment uh, or joy in life or work life balance and experiencing all the good things in life outside of work. And I think people can get way too focused on results and material success. the expense of the more important things really that are the bigger things in my opinion
0: yeah i mean absolutely i look at my life today and i look at you know what i personally could improve on in terms of what i want you know more freedom more ability to choose so financial abundance or financial freedom helps you to make choices because you have greater freedom. True. And um, it's not really that I'm materialistic at all. I've got a roof. I've got a car. I'm able to feed myself. Like As I take myself now at bare-skin human level, I'm quite a content person. All right, I think there's always the lesson – of being able to love yourself more, and therefore love others more, because what you see in yourself, you often don't see in others, and vice versa. Um, And I think, actually, going back to your survival thinking, that can really impede the defensive mindset and the negative self-talk.
1: You touched on an interesting area there about um, that, well, almost loving yourself, and I, I, I talk a lot about reaching that place of feeling good enough, and I think a lot of our um, psyche is set up to make us feel not good enough, and uh, as I mentioned before, I think it's a lot of that comes from actually again originates from survival thinking because we are continually tracking and monitoring for things that can go wrong? Can we we look internally for where we're weak, where we're vulnerable, where, where we may be flawed? And that leads... I think the majority of people to a place where they spend too much time in that place being not good enough. That can be not good good enough as an employee, not good enough as a business owner, not good enough as a leader, but it can also be not good enough as a parent, not good good enough as a husband, as a wife. And I think a lot of people uh, under the surface are battling with that. And I believe it's As you were saying, there's there's possibly always work to be done, but getting to that place, if you want to call it self-love, or actually feeling that you're good enough as a human being. Not that you don't want to grow and you don't want to improve and do other things, but do it from a place of uh, contentment with yourself rather than continually feeling that you're not good enough. Because I believe that if you look to your ego Uh, your ego will say you're not good enough. And I think if if you continue to do things and look to achieve more and more, your ego will continually tell you that you're not good enough. And I think that's a vicious circle that a lot of people get wrapped up into, really.
0: So I know this is going to take us slightly away from leadership in a minute now. And And I want to come back to that. But just this example of judgment. I've been training for a long time to swim the English Channel. I've recently just come back from it. And I'm kind of not letting go, but I'm letting loose where I can. So on the weekend, I went to a dance festival. Okay. And um, I was there and I turned to my friend and I said, how many people here are smiling? You know, and I, he looked around and he was like, Quite a lot, I was like, no, no, look closer. You know, like it was literally maybe 20 or 30% you could see were happy in that moment. The others weren't. And then I began to ask myself, why? And is that because they're getting too involved in their own head? Is that because they're looking at others and not seeing themselves in the light that they should do? And I think the dance floor is really a good place for everybody to just go and drop that judgment, just literally leave it at the door or leave it at the edge of the dance floor. Um, And it was, yeah, it just came to me. I was like, wow, what a great place to see and feel this energy, not only my own, but other people's and how I can learn from it as well. You know, I'm always trying to enhance um, my own mindset. So yeah, just a just a little insider's note there.
1: Yeah, and I think that that sort of getting out of your own head, and in a way, I guess that brings in mindfulness, doesn't it, Gavin? Because it is fully embracing yourself in the moment and, and enjoying the moment, whether it be dancing or, or whatever it might be, really. Um, it's, it's embracing that moment and not... I mean, here's the thing. A lot of our thinking is either past or future-focused. We're either ruminating over something that went on before feeling guilty about it wondering why how it couldn't have been different all those kind of things or we're looking forwards which is what could go wrong uh, what are we what you know where are our anxieties about what's coming uh, in front of us whether that be the next day or weeks ahead or years ahead and we spend a very small percentage of our time actually just being in the moment uh, whether i say whether well, it's like you said whether that be at, at a dance or whatever it is and i think um that's another underlying problem with the human condition, really.
0: Yeah, there, there is literally judgment everywhere we go. So we were talking earlier about the media and how that influences the survival thinking of a, of a mass population, right? They're drumming fear into people. Like, I looked at one uh, online tabloid the other day, and I didn't see on the way to looking at the football headlines, I didn't I didn't see any headline that wasn't somebody shot somebody murdered war utilities outrage minister this you know it was just there wasn't a single bit of positivity in there and i just yeah. think to myself if you're not feeding yourself any positivity then you're not going to be getting any positivity or joy internally and therefore you're not going to actually be able to give it out. It's an inside out process and job, isn't it? So it's a bit like eating really healthily and looking and feeling good or re- or eating really unhealthily and looking and feeling you know unhealthy there's a there's a huge huge difference and it all comes down to what we take in and I think from a leadership perspective, I asked you the question about what would you tell somebody just going to university? I would tell them. Well, you you allowed yourself two things. I'll just, I'll I'll add on to your two. Um, I would tell them education doesn't stop at the higher learning institutions, you know? Oh, for sure. Never stop learning. Just, there, there is so much belief and sway in this world that once you've done with higher education, that's it. You've got everything you need for life. You're set. You've just got to get that job you just got to buy that house. You've just got to settle down and have that family. You've just got to work nine till six hard, you know, and you'll be fine, which, let's be honest, is just absolute rubbish.
1: Yeah, and I think it's um, that there's a famous psychologist, Carol Dwecker, wrote a book, Mindset, and she talks a lot about growth and fixed mindset. And I think there are there are a few things going on here. I think one is that um, neuroscience um, which I've got more and more fascinated with over the, over the, over the years. The, the great thing about neuroscience, if you look at the concept of neuroplasticity, our brains aren't fixed. We can continually develop and rewire our brains into older age. It was never used to believe that was that would be the case. And so that, that touches on what you were saying about what you take in, because if you are continually, let's say, for example, you watch the news four times a day, you read um, a tabloid newspaper you're going to feed your brain particular patterns about what's going on in in life and that can affect not just you psychologically but the physical uh, form of your brain as well and a growth the growth mindset versus fixed mindset philosophy from carol dweck is about the fact that you are capable of continual growth uh, and i think that's a really healthy view of the human being really that, as you said, that you don't come out of higher education and then end up in a job, get a house and you're fully formed. You are able to continue to build new skills and uh, increase your knowledge and experience things and learn from those experiences. And, and I think that's a really optimistic uh, view of, uh, of the human species rather than a more fatalistic view that you reach a point where you've got all the skills that you're probably going to acquire, you've reached a level of intelligence, you're done. Um, That's not the case. Uh, And people are able to grow and develop probably way more than they believe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's such a fascinating point. Let's, uh, Let's talk a bit about leadership here. Somebody in a leadership position, how could they sort of, take a step back from what they're doing and look at what they're doing and assess it to improve upon it.
1: I think, I think most people in business and, and leaders don't, they're, they're way too busy doing the do. I don't think that they find enough space uh, to actually shift their thinking. Again, going back to neuroscience. Our brains can operate at different frequencies when we are fully engaged in tasks and we're, dealing with things that that often our brain is operating a fairly high frequency, but it's when you get down to alpha frequency, a slower frequency brainwave that you have more creative ideas. I think we all know this instinctively. A lot of our great ideas come when we're out having a walk, having a shower or having a bath or whatever it might be. They don't often come when we're in the cut and thrust of going through our tasks or or emails. So I think, the advice I, I often give to leaders is find more space to be able to stand back from things uh, because then then you'll have uh, the, the potential to think differently and think more creatively. Obviously I would say this anyway, uh, but I think it's also good sometimes to get somebody else to help you to do that and give you other perspectives on things and help you see things differently. And for me, a lot of my, my work, Gavin, is um, often a leader Or if if I'm working with a group of leaders in a company, me having time with me is one of the only times where they'll probably put a a pause in and stand back from the business. And I can ask them some good questions. And I think I think you can ask yourself some really great questions as well. Uh, I mean, look at two simple questions a leader can ask themselves all the time, really. uh, And when they have breakpoints is what's going well at the minute? what can we do more of to, to keep building on that? Um, But then also what's not going well and why is it not going well? And what do we need to do to resolve that? So the power of a good question and the power of some space and quiet really.
0: Um, I like that a lot. I, I get my best thoughts um, in the shower and when I'm out in nature, either swimming or hiking Um, but you know, my time away from the desk, the city meetings. Um, yeah, I think absolutely space is absolutely key. And I would build into that nine till five, a space for that space, you know, like people are often trying to find time. Like, you know, one of the greatest battles is but when can I find the time? I don't have the time. Well, with better time management, you can find the time because actually, by taking that time and that space, uh, you come to the correct decisions, processes, and strategies that will lead you to slightly different outcomes. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think mental health really comes into decision basis and leadership is fundamental to decisions. You know, so you've got to have the right mental health to be a leader.
1: Yeah, well you've got, I mean, you've got to be able to self lead well first to be able to lead other people. Uh, and as you say, uh, to make decisions. Again, if we if we allow ourselves to get into more reactive mode, as you touched on earlier, Gavin, um, and you make potentially fear based decisions, or you procrastinate and don't make a decision because you're too fearful. Um, Often, again, it's that, that, that getting to that place where you can take the decisive action uh, and have the courage to do that and know, actually, that you may make decisions that don't work out right and that, you OK, you just have to re-navigate and you'll have to learn from that. Um, I mean, the thing I often say to leaders who are getting too wrapped up in the risk of making a decision is there's risk in making no decision and sitting where you are. Uh, so you need to be able to make decisions and know that you may get it wrong. But by not making a decision, you may be getting it wrong anyway.
0: <laughs> so. So have you got any kind of like process for people to undertake that helps them come to uh, a decision basis?
1: Um, if it, I, I guess if I, in a broader sense, uh, I typically work on a diagnostic tool with leaders when we first start, and I'll ask a number of questions about where they are, and maybe where they're stuck and, and why they might need to make changes. Um, I think I think basically with, with decisions, it is a lot of the time it's weighing up the pros and cons of, of making a particular decision. And it is starting to look at what could go wrong. Uh, and also uh, for me, then it's about what how can you mitigate that? So I'm I used to be a mathematician. That's when my, my first degree was in maths. And the if then logic is very simple. So if something were to go wrong, then this is what I would do. So if you're making a decision and you're getting wrapped up in all the things that could go wrong, you start to build in some actions that you would take if that was to happen. And that can then build a a level of confidence that you would have some mitigating actions if the risk you're taking was proven to be one that actually materialised. And so I I think that, and I say, and and the other thing I often say to, as I said earlier, Gavin Theta leaders is we've got to, we, we need to make, sometimes we need to make decisions and we don't, we're not, in often we're not in full possession of the facts and what can happen. We've got to make our best judgment But we've also really key point is we can recalibrate if you make a decision and you go part of the way down the line and you start to see already that it's maybe either the wrong decision. Well, look at what's been going on with the UK government the the past two, two to four weeks. You can you can actually U-turn or you can change path or or whatever it is. Don't let uh, I think people can get really wrapped up with their ego with decision making that they've made a decision, they've got to stick at it, even though the evidence is starting to say you're on the slightly on the slightly on the wrong path or completely on the wrong path. So don't let your ego get in the way. Revise your decision if it's proven not to be the right one.
0: I um I often like to ask how it feels, how it sits, you know, like in that moment of space, as you call it, or peace, as I like to call it, how does it feel? You know, like, does it feel peaceful? Does it feel wrong? Does it feel frustrating? Does it feel traumatic? And kind of feel more into it because I think particularly in the, male zone of leadership at the highest level of corporate business there'll be this you know shield around them where they can't be harmed and they've got to show you know that they can't be harmed to the outside world so they kind of make decisions uh from a place of sort of you know i can't be harmed boom stamp Whereas actually, if they take that shield away um, and ask themselves, "How does it feel?" So it's it's the mechanical um, element that I'm trying to, I guess, just unravel a little bit, unwrap, show them that it doesn't always have to be mechanical. You know, it can be. Yeah. yeah. No, I think
1: um, I, th- I think ego can grip leaders uh, in terms of. That can't be harm piece, um, but also I think it's can't, can't be seen to be vulnerable a lot of the time with leaders. Right, And we and we. I guess we're bridging into the, the concept of authentic leadership, which I think um, has got some great merits. I'm not a full advocate of that. I think sometimes leaders do need to give their people comfort that they've, even if they within, haven't fully got control of something that they uh, that give their people a perception that there is an element of control there because uh, often uh, I was talking to an MD the other day and he said one of his people came in and said uh, there was something big going on at the company. And he said to the MD, if you're not looking worried, then I'm not, I'm not going to worry. And so we do look to leaders for signals in terms of how they're handling a situation. But as you say, Gavin, it's letting the walls down and, and actually admitting at times that you're just human. Like, other people in the organization, and that it's an element of uh, openness and authenticity that a lot of leaders aren't comfortable with, and I think they they can do more of that. Uh, and I think people will respect and connect with that as well.
0: Yeah, um, I love leadership with authenticity. I think it's something that really needs to be honed in on uh, from the higher leadership. Uh, I think there's not enough of it, and I'd love to see more of it. And I'm actually talking about it this week, funny enough. Thank you. Um, um, the leadership psychologist. I just want to go into, for a couple of minutes if I can, the science behind it. We just suggested about peeling it back. Now let's kind of go a bit the other way into the academia and play the... Play the um, devil's advocate if you will um how does that influence decisions
1: well i, th- I think uh, what we have to be mindful of as well if you're talking uh, some of the science is we all operate with uh, cognitive biases heuristics so our our brains um we, we're processing an incredible amount of information all the time so we our minds we we need to make Uh, shortcuts or take shortcuts with our thinking sometimes and so that's a really key area uh, in terms of cognitive biases because we need to be mindful that we're making all sorts of decisions based on often unconscious shortcuts Uh, and there are a whole range of those where for example uh, just one quick one confirmation bias so we might quickly look for evidence to support a particular view we have. So we're very selective because we'll filter out information that maybe contradicts a decision we're going to make or a line we're going to take, uh, and we look for stuff that uh, confirms our judgment. Uh, And that's I say that's a shortcut. So the more mindful you of some of these cognitive biases playing out, again, you can come at it from a place of awareness. So that might mean, let's say, for example, with confirmation bias, not necessarily just seeking out opinions from people and filtering opinions from people that that is in line with the decision you're about to take, but maybe going to people who, you know, be more challenging and won't agree with you to allow yourself to have a more balanced dialogue with other people, but also an internal dialogue about your decision because um, cognitive biases are a fact of life. We all operate with shortcuts, it's part of the way that the, the mind has to uh, do things to be efficient. But the more we're aware of it, we, we can be aware of how they might trip us up as well.
0: Yeah. It's such an interesting insight that into the world of decision-making and leadership, the, the awareness that the leader has and where that leader, where that awareness has been sort of, you know, increased or, uh, educated. Um, I think from a a scientific point of view, uh, and you just mentioned this also, like, a leader will seek confirmation bias. In other words, around a boardroom table, um, it would be very unusual, if the MD or the CEO said, this is the way that we're going to go and everybody else around the table completely disagreed with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I, they would obviously seek to get a majority at the very least. Uh, and I think actually that is something that's wrong in the way that we, you know, view things and judge things. It comes back to judgment again. How How can they make that decision without allowing us to have our decision, you know? Um, but the leadership role is one about absolute responsibility, you know, like, when things go wrong, whose fault is it? Well, it's nobody's fault, but the leader takes complete responsibility. Um, And I think in that zone of genius, they should be allowed to make their decisions without confirmation bias from their own point of view and from the others around them?
1: Yeah, I think that um, you touched on a couple of things for me there. One is the difference between convergent and divergent thinking. And often a lot of the thinking that goes on in organisations is convergent because the leader will express his view or her view, and the people around them uh, will feel inclined to need to converge on that uh, that thought process so one simple uh, idea i picked up um, from a book a, a few years back was let's say for example you've got a problem in the business or something that needs cracking or, or you want to look at a new area um get people not don't bring people to a meeting and then start the meeting off by saying this is my my opinion what are the other opinions around the room Get people to think about it independently and potentially submit their ideas and thoughts prior to the meeting so that you encourage more divergent thinking where people aren't feeling the need to gravitate to the opinions of a leader, but they can be more divergent in their thinking. And I think the other other thing that's important, and um, I read a really great book by an ex-naval captain, uh, I think his name's David Marquette. Um, a couple of years back, called Leadership is Language. And he talks a lot about red and blue workers. The, the blue workers being perceived more as the management, the, the leadership, and the red as the doers. And it is the fact that there is intelligence throughout businesses and organizations, and often not tapped into enough. And so when you were talking about absolute responsibility being on leaders for decisions, Devolving that decision making around people and engaging people and giving people more power to actually engage with the decision making process. And again, I go back to that point that, that and have a, a no blame culture if, if things don't go exactly as uh, they might have done. Um, that, that sort of view of those experiences being a, an opportunity to learn learn and grow and that's a cultural thing within organizations as well i think then
0: um i think we could talk about this for a lot longer than we have <laughs> i don't really want to lose people's uh, attention or focus on the subject so i'm gonna leave it there I'd just really like to say thank you so much for bringing your uh, authentic self today tony and your wisdom and value and it's been great having you on the show
1: thank you very much as well gavin
0: Until next time, stay outstanding. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the content and got any value, please do like it, rate it, follow, subscribe, and leave a comment. You'll find us across all the social media channels, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. It's been my privilege to host you today. I'm Gavin Scott. Until next time, stay outstanding. Thank you.